And now it's time to welcome Caroline. Please join me in welcoming. Thank you. Morning. Happy Eastertide. Is that a thing that people say? I don't know. Um, but we are currently in the season of Eastertide, the seven-week period following the Easter Sunday until the Pentecost Sunday. Um, Jesus' resurrection is a big deal in Christian faith. It changes everything. We need more than a day. We need the whole season to celebrate it. And it is also the season to reflect on what the resurrection of Jesus might mean for us in our lives here and now and how it might change um, um, how we see or live um, um, live out the, the, the new, new reality. Because this changes everything, which is the title of our sermon series. In this series, we're looking at the stories from the Bible where Jesus appears to his friends after the resurrection and before he ascends to heavens. Last week, we read from John 20, the story of Mary Magdalene um, and her encounter with Jesus. And today, we're reading from John 21, the next chapter, um, where Jesus appears to Peter. This encounter comes after Peter's big failure. Jesus speaks to Peter and shows him how he can move forward after possibly the biggest blunder of his life and what life after failure might look like. Failure is a topic close to our hearts since we all experience it from time to time and it could be so crushing. So I hope today that we can gain some insights into our own experiences through Peter's story. Good? Let me read the passage for us. The story starts with Jesus appearing to a group of his uh, disciples and then move to a conversation with Peter. So it's from John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. 
When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal. They saw a charcoal charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish that you have just caught." So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them. Though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, "Who are you?" because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?" He said to him, "Yes, Lord. You know that I love you." Jesus said to him, "Feed my lambs." A second time he said to him, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" He said to him, "Yes, Lord. You know that I love you." Jesus said to him, "Tend my sheep." He said to him the third time, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, "Do you love me?" And he said to him, "Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you." Jesus said to him, "Feed my sheep." Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go to,、uh, to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. After this, he has he said to him, "Follow me." It's a mysterious and cryptic exchange between Jesus and Peter, especially the three questions and three answers thing. There's a background story to this、um, exchange we need to know to understand it. Jesus and Peter, they have a history, you know. So several chapters ago, it was the night of Jesus's arrest. As Jesus got arrested, Peter abandoned him. Ran away, and then denied ever knowing Jesus three times in one night. You know the story; it's a famous story, Peter's denial. Well, just a few hours earlier, Peter had been sure that he would always stand with Jesus. When Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times before the night was over, he had said. I will lay down my life for you. In the book of Mark, it says、uh, Peter said vehemently, "Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you." Peter had the self-image of being a man of courage and conviction and loyalty, but the night had proved him so wrong. He thought he was a courageous man. Well, he so wanted to be the man who could stand up for his friend, for his own conviction, a strong man of action. But when he was faced with Jesus getting arrested and his own possible arrest, he swore he didn't know Jesus and that he was not a friend. As vehemently as he swore to Jesus 
that he would die with them. It says in Mark, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. It's a pretty strong denial. So he failed spectacularly. His self-image, the image of the man he thought he was, was completely shattered that night. He must have felt terrible. He must have been filled with shame and guilt. Then Jesus is resurrected. His guilt and shame over his own failure must have affected the way he experienced this amazing news, even the resurrection. It's kind of the amazing happy news that also brought out and reminded him of his epic failure. It was complicated. So for Peter, there must have been a mix of joy at Jesus' resurrection, but also uncertainty, having betrayed Jesus three times in the moment of his needs. He probably thought that he failed completely as a disciple, disqualified himself. He was probably worried about how Jesus would respond. So you can see how they needed a talk. And what does Peter do in this um, place of discouragement and failure? He goes fishing. Maybe he needed a distraction. Or maybe he needed to feel strong and successful again after such a failure. Peter had been a fisherman before um, when Jesus first met him. He had left his boat and his nets to follow Jesus. So he knew fishing. Probably it was a family trade and he had learned to do it from a young age. It was something he was good at. But then even that doesn't go very well. Peter and his friends fish all night but catch nothing. And that is where Jesus comes to him. Jesus calls to them and at first they don't recognize Jesus. But following Jesus' instruction, they have a huge catch. And at this sign of abundance, they recognize Jesus. Maybe they remembered those crazy moments of abundance they experienced with Jesus, like when he turned water into wine or uh, when he fed uh, thousands of people with some fish and bread. Peter puts on his clothes and then jumps into the water to rush to Jesus, which is an interesting you know, thing to do, right? <laughs> He's a man of action. Do you see? Passionate. And expresses his passion with big gestures, big actions. It could be me reading into the, you know, story, but the author, probably John, who was with them, with Peter at the moment, he seems a little bit peeved by, uh, at Peter, one-upping him and getting to Jesus a little faster. Or it could be me who is peeved. I mean, Peter can be very extra, Anyway, after the breakfast, Jesus addresses Peter and asks him, do you love me? Is Jesus feeling a little insecure, 
in the relationship after Peter abandoned him? No, Jesus just defeated death. He is God after all. This conversation is for Peter's benefit. Jesus draws attention, uh, Peter's attention away from his failure, away from his shattered self-image to himself, to his love for Peter, and gives Peter the chance to say yes three times, just as, as he denied knowing Jesus three times. What is interesting is that Peter is feeling terrible. And to restore Peter from the failure and his shattered confidence, Jesus doesn't say the usual things that we would say. He doesn't say, oh, it's okay, it wasn't so bad. Or everyone fails from time to time. Oh, you will do better next time. Or don't worry, you're a good man. Jesus doesn't try to help Peter put back the pieces of his self-image that was broken. Instead, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? More precisely, do you love me more than these? What does he mean by these? Fishing, people, all the fish they've caught, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows for sure. But I wonder if it isn't all these things, all of the things that Peter put his worth in. Competence, strength, success, the ability to feed his family, support his family, wealth that might come with success, and power that comes with wealth, sense of security, All of these things that gave the sense of worth to Peter. Instead of helping heal Peter's self-image and self-worth and making him feel better about himself, Jesus is asking Peter to let that self-image go and step closer to him. Don't look for worth in these Find your worth in the flow of love between you and me. Because I love you as you are completely. And you are infinitely worthy because of my love. I think we all have this type of self-image that we care about. That we try to live up to. And most of them are positive and good things. It could be about being strong, loyal, responsible, honest, attractive, smart, resourceful, competent, good and moral, about being a fair person, a nice, kind person. And they help us in life. They motivate us to do better. But when we start to put our identity and worth in these things when we need them to be true, to feel worthy. They start to trap us. 
they start to cause insecurities in us. We worry that it might not be true, that I might not have it in me, and react when we feel the slightest threat to our self-image. The need to prove that we are what we think we are makes us also rigid. It makes everything about me and makes it impossible for us to love selflessly. And then when we experience a failure that blows up our self-image in our face, like Peter did in the story, we don't know how to move on. We don't know how to recover. We don't know how to value ourselves and our life anymore. We either want to despair and give up everything because I just don't have it in me. Who am I to think that I could do this? Or we turn away and hide from it, pretend that we're still that person and lie to ourselves. Or both. Usually both. The thing is, we tend to think that we, we, we possess some essential quality inside of us that is completely independent of everything else, like this drawing. Yes, do you see the star that's worth? These uh, qualities inside of us, and, and it, they give us worth. And they're the reason why we're worthy and deserve to be loved. And once we have this worth inside of us, then we, we can serve others, serve God, offer something of value to others. Very descriptive, right? But Jesus seems to be saying it's the other way around. Love is the starting point. We're loved no matter what, and that is why we're worthy. And that our worth lies in our loving connection to him and to others. In that back and forth flow between us. And that's what makes our life meaningful and worth living. And this fits with our understanding of God too. Even God herself is not the absolute being separate and independent from everything else. God herself is the Trinity, the constant flow of love between the creator God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The true nature of who God is lies in the flow of love between them and the rest of the creation. Even the scientists nowadays are talking about this. In this small, lovely book called The Seven Brief Lessons on Physics, Carlo Rovelli talks about how in quantum mechanics, which I really don't understand, but according to him, quantum mechanics in, in, in that field, no object has definite position except when it is colliding with something else. It has no definite position. We don't know where they are unless 
um, except when colliding headlong with something else. And he says in the book that it seems to him that reality is only interaction. The weight of the reality is not on things, but interactions between beings. Even the qualities and the self-images that we feel strongly about, things like strong or responsible or courageous, they only mean something in our interactions with others, right? These qualities are brought out when we're interacting with others and the environment. What does it mean to be strong when you're completely alone? Not much. What does it mean to be responsible when you have no connection with others? Our worth is not a fixed thing we possess inside of us. It comes from our connectedness to others and the world. So Jesus knows this, and he knows that it is futile to try to hold on to this false sense of worth. So he draws Peter back to himself and says, don't look at these failures, your wounded self-image. Look at me. Love makes you whole. It is possible that Peter wasn't sure about his position in Jesus' ministry. He once was considered a leader. But after such a failure, maybe he thought he would be let go, fired. Wasn't it? It wasn't just maybe the performance failure, but it was also moral failure, wasn't it, to betray someone like that? Maybe Peter wondered, wouldn't that disqualify me completely? But Jesus doesn't seem concerned about that. He asks just one question. Do you love me? Do you accept my love for you? Then that's the qualification enough. Now turn around and spread that love for others. Feed my sheep. Join me in my work. I became a pastor without really meaning to. I was raised in Korea um, in a businessman's family. I was not raised in a church growing up. I went to business school after college because, well, that was our family trade, and um, I didn't have any better idea. So being, um, being a pastor wasn't in the plan. But then after some unexpected turns, I find myself a pastor here in the city so far from where I grew up. It's kind of interesting how things turn out. And being a pastor hasn't always been easy. Um, I'm an introvert, and I sometimes question the wisdom of my job choice because... um, You know, introverts need a lot of alone time. And in the 15 years of or so uh, being in ministry, I have been told many times that I was not relational enough. It's not warm enough. And especially when I was new at it, 
it felt like a big failure. Um, not just a performance failure in, at my job, but also a moral failure for not loving others well enough, the way they needed to be loved. Because it felt like I was doing something wrong all the time, always. Not warm enough, not spending time with them enough, not listening enough, not expressing myself in the right way. It wasn't that most people were unhappy with me, the opposite, it's the opposite, but it felt like there was always someone unhappy with me and feeling uncared for. And it was very draining. It took a lot out of me. So then I would try hard to have the right attitude about it, about the criticism, try to do the right thing and learn from it, to do better, to be better, you know. So one time someone was, I don't even remember who it was, someone was angry with me and blamed me, I felt like, blaming me for not caring for them well enough. And I was going around and around in my head, um, carrying on imaginary conversations with this person and with myself. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm sure you guys all do this. (laughs) Arguing with someone in your head. I was tired of failing and being told that I was failing and trying and, and trying to do the right thing. And the doing the right thing, I realized, meant that I had to change the way I was to be different. So in my mind, I'm arguing with myself and this with this person. Am I being unreasonable not to want to do this? Are they being reasonable? Am I wrong? Is it true what they're telling me? My mind was in a frenzy over the possibility that I might be wrong about it all. And I was the blame. I was the one to uh, be blamed for um, any relational breaks there. And that's when God's voice broke in and asked me, what if you're wrong? And that gave me a pause. God said it with such acceptance and calmness. And there was no sense of disapproval or rebuke that it just drew me out of my imaginary conversation and the state I was in. And then I thought, if I was wrong, then I was wrong. It wasn't the end of the world or the indictment on my worth or my job or my calling. It is my need to be right and perfect that was paralyzing me and making it hard for me to love more than my lack of relationalness. After all, I can only do what I can. I cannot do more than I can. And God is not asking me to do that. And when I was able to let go of my injured self-image and ego, I was able to move forward with, with loving the people the way I can. And that's good because I don't see myself becoming an extrovert anytime soon. When we experience failures in life, it makes us doubt ourselves. That's a terrible feeling. Our self-image takes a hit, 
and we're not so sure if we have what it takes. We're tempted to fix our confidence, put back together the self-image to a varying degree of success. It is a lot of work trying to build ourselves up. We tell ourselves that we can do it and we'll do better next time. But what if, what makes it possible for us to go on, for us to make it in life, to amount to anything in life? It's not some innate quality in us separate from everything else. But it lies in our connectedness to others and our love for Jesus. We do not need to bear the whole burden of meaning and worth in life within us. It's more than we can bear. We do not need to bear the whole burden of meaning and worth in life within us with our own virtue, strength, and capability. Jesus asks us to put down the pieces of our broken self-image that we have been holding on so tightly and preciously and turn our gaze to Jesus and his love so we can really start to follow him without its weight, without its fear, and move forward in ways that free us to be all that we are created to be and to love without holding back. So how do we do that? How can we let go of the self-image and focus on Jesus? It is so hard. And it's a, uh, not a one-time thing. We just have to do it over and over again. Instead of uh, practical suggestions today, I have some reflection questions that have helped me in this process and hopefully they will be helpful to you as well. So the first reflection question I have is what is the self-image that you hold on to and put your worth in? Maybe you can do this uh, exercise, fill in the blanks. Do we have that on the slide? I am something. I need to be something it could be you could put some descriptive words in it i am strong i am self-sufficient i am good i am perfect it is helpful to know what are the things that we put our worth in when this self-image is and threat, when and when this is threatened, we tend to become rigid and insecure and reactive. Like these are the situations where our buttons get pushed and we react so much stronger than the offense. So it's good to know what tends to trip us up. Last week, I taught, introduced Easter Tide exercise that Sarah came up with. It's a spiritual exercise that she modified from the examine. It's something that we can do daily during this season. 
You can find it on your River app now. And it is a tool we can use to remember and reflect on the moments of connection and moments of disconnection in our days. And doing this daily exercise like this can really help us see the patterns in our behaviors and thoughts and feelings. And these things can really reveal things about ourselves. So I highly recommend it. And it could help you recognize those things that you put your identity in. Like, when do I tend to feel disconnected? Because that usually tends to be the moment where we feel threatened in our self-image. The second reflective question I have is, what if you're not? What if you're not the things that you need to be? What would happen? What if you're not the things that you wrote down in your first um, question? It's a thought experiment, which uh, really helped me in my conversation with God. What if? Would that be as bad as you fear? Usually not. Will we be really be abandoned by everyone in our life because if these were not true? Probably not. So it helps us to um, get a clear vision and perspective on the fears that we have. My third um, reflection question is, do you love me? And I don't mean me, but sort of imagine yourself. Have a one-on-one with Jesus. And imagine him asking you, do you love me? I've tried this a few days ago, um, and it really helped me. If I, I felt like I could breathe again and think and see more clearly after a stressful week. There's something so simple and powerful about the question that it focuses our attention to Jesus. I felt Jesus saying to me, do you love me? And I said, yeah, begrudgingly. I felt like God said, then receive my love for you. Draw it from me, the comfort. Draw from me the comfort and the strength you need to go on. Your answer to Jesus might be, yes, I do love you. Or maybe, maybe, could be maybe, I try to love you. Or, I don't know, I barely know you. Or even, no, I don't like you very much these days. And Jesus can handle all of those answers and still hang out with you and stay connected with you. Let his presence bring light to you in your discouragement and maybe burnouts, in your dark thoughts that might come in those places. Let his Love, let his presence bring light to you. So as I wrap up, I am going to pray and then give ourselves a few minutes to think about these questions. If you can have it up. Um, Yes. Um, Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for 
showing up and speaking to us. Thank you for the ways that you love us. And thank you for the ways that your love makes us worthy. So we pray for you, your presence right now. As we stay in silence for a few moments, I pray that you would speak to us. You would speak to um, the parts of in our hearts that we feel discouraged and let down. In Jesus' name, amen.